Tom Jay here. Question for Rich. And I know why it's just for Rich. As soon as you hear the question, you'll know. Have carnivores been asking for supplements with animal flavours, like bacon, ribeye or duck, instead of plant flavours? This would be a logical request, in my opinion, considering the goal of carnivore. What do you think? So are you talking about sort of um, beef-flavoured electrolytes, for example? Um, uh, yeah, that's what he is. Because it, and I yeah. picked up my electrolytes and thought, you were the, yeah, that's orange and lemon, isn't it? Why is it? Why have I asked for orange? Well, I haven't. Well, I didn't ask. That's what was was available, so I had it. Yeah, it's the the reason that we've landed on the flavors that we have are because they are the easiest to create naturally. Um, but if they were a market for a beef. Flavor. I mean, technically, that's a bone broth, isn't it? Just with added electrolytes. I mean, could we do a bone broth blend with added electrolytes? Quite possibly. It could be one for uh, uh, for, for for the the project board. Um, yeah, food for thought. I like it. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I love this. Is why I like the lives. I mean, we don't prep the answers. And we don't ask people to you know, submit questions beforehand. So it's real, the real reaction. And I think that's amazing because we're always saying about, um, you know, vegans having um, fake bacon, bacon, you know, fake bacon and all this sort of stuff. And yet here we are as carnivores and we've got lemon drinks, orange drinks. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a really good point, actually. And talking of really good points, uh, I'm on fire tonight with my smooth segues. Peter's asking, in an ideal world, would there be enough food to feed 8 billion carnivores? Well, yeah, I think they've proven this, haven't they? That um, when we look at the amount of land on the planet, um, the argument would be that um, there isn't enough land to, to have ruminant animals. But half of the land that we grow um, or, or can't grow crops on is in the mountains and it's land that they can't flatten to grow crops anyway. Um, and I think there was a study recently which showed that we could all live off animal proteins um, comfortably. So I, all of this, you know, misinformation within the media, that's exactly what it is. It is misinformation. Um, you know, we how when it comes back to the vegan or vegetarian lifestyle, you know, they destroy way more animals than, than a carnivore does. You know, an average carnivore would, would consume one cow per year, two probably for me because I eat a lot. But, you know, that's, that's what, two animals. And I love animals, and we've covered this many times. I'm an animal lover, and this is why I'm carnivore, because if I was vegan, then every time... I drive to the supermarket, I would technically be killing a family of squirrels. Um, every time, you know, I order in my avocado to be flown in um, or almonds or whatever it is to be thrown in from from other side of the world, I am contributing to uh, the, you know, the degradation of, of the atmosphere through all of these fumes. Um, the jet fuel that's put into the atmosphere. So it's, it is exactly, and it's simple. It makes perfect sense. And when we come back to um, global warming from cows farting into the atmosphere, it's absolutely ridiculous. Think about it logically. Um, vegans fart way more than than cows do. You know, it's... Um, and uh, Sean Baker put an interesting post recently that uh, when grass 
um, decomposes that puts off just as much methane as as a cow does. But how much of the, the interesting thing with the methane from animals is that it gets sequestered back into the soil. Um, it's essential for feeding the, the the microbes within the soil, which regenerate the soil and grow more more earth, uh, more, more you know. F- uh, grass um, for more animals to feed off. It feeds an entire e- ecosystem. It isn't pumped up into the atmosphere the way that jet fuel is. Um, and that is a massive misconception within the community. If you love the planet, if you care for animals, then you would be a carnivore. And that is the the plain and simple truth. But unfortunately, we are heavily misled by the propaganda within the media and um, ulterior motives by the food industry. Eighty-four uh, percent of food waste in the entire planet is plant material. So, uh, firstly, there's that end of it as well. So, most plant material ends up being wasted in comparison to other total products. If you look at the population of the planet, and they were all to stand shoulder to shoulder with each other, I think they take up something like sixty percent of the land mass of just Texas. So there's an awful lot of land left over when you look at it. So this uh, this thing about there being too many people on the planet, is that really true? I mean, there are absolute swathes and swathes of land where there is no people whatsoever. So I think it's just looking at it differently. And I, I agree with Rich completely and utterly. I mean, the animal deaths to, to provide food for the vegans is, is much greater. So, yes, in an ideal world, there would be enough. I, I suppose we could be really picky with the semantics of that question to say, yeah, that would make it an ideal world. So the the fact that there was 8 billion people, all carnivores, would make an ideal world, if you see sort of circular, circular uh, argument there. Right, anyway, right, let's go on. Ignoring all the hellos and good evenings today because we didn't get through all the questions last week, so... Tam is saying, hi, boys. Hope you are both well. So got dates for both my knees surgeries. Uh, right first, but need to lose another 1.5 stone, which is about 18 pounds for people in America. There, So I've hit a wall. Any help? Still eat six eggs and steak. Any advice? Already lost 25 kilograms. Do you know, Tam? I do indeed. I do indeed. Did you have any advice to? Yeah. Yes. Look, uh, take the egg. Uh, take the yolks out of your egg. Um, plain and simple. If you're cooking in butter, tallow, lard, ghee, or, or anything else during cooking, remove that. Uh, gravitate the odd day to poor lean cuts. We want to ramp up the body's ability to oxidize stored body fat over consuming dietary fat. So the less we put in, the more that we ramp up. We're not going to be without. This is why the body stores body fat. It's there to be used at a later date. 25K is absolutely phenomenal. So massive congrats on that. That one and a half to go as a percentage, that's a baby step for you. And I'm sure that through macro manipulation of reducing dietary fat that you will be hitting that incredibly quickly. But it is it is as simple as that. I mean, one argument would be to, to, to move more. Um, but as I proved during one of the competitions that I did a few years ago, prep for a competition, I dropped, uh, I think it was 28 pound, um, or maybe possibly even more in, in five weeks. Um, most competitors would spend three to six months on a cut and I cut for this competition in five weeks on zero cardio. Uh, and I did it purely through macro manipulation. That's not a f- fit and healthy, um, 
it, it's not good for the body, but I did it to prove a point that we can ramp up the body's ability to utilize stored body fat purely by twisting that switch. Um, so as simple as that, take egg yolks out, remove any fats from cooking and gravitate the odd day or two to, to leaner cuts of, uh, of meat. Would you introduce any sort of fasting regime for people? Yeah. Fasting is fantastic. It works incredibly well for me when you're not eating. You know, you're burning stored body fat. Um, and typically, the argument would be that, well, you know, when you do eat, you still eat in the same volume. But we have the ability to increase brown fat activation through fasting, which means that the cells have wiggle room. Um, and you do find that despite consuming the same caloric value that the body does expend more energy, plus there's the thermic effect of protein, um, but this this wiggle room through brown fat activation uh, through autophagy, which is constantly going on, even through just living a ketogenic carnival lifestyle, but that will also allow uh, further fat oxidation. Um, how long, you know, how long is a piece of string? You need to do it to suit you. Um, you don't want to do it too too long, too fast. It's got to be sustainable. Uh, always break your fast with protein and fat. Obviously, never break. Not that you would break it with carbohydrate, but we do get the the feeling that we've earned a treat quite often. And I've seen this very regularly within the keto community. Somebody would do a twenty four fast and think, "Oh, I've earned this fast," and then they would eat a sugary treat. This can be detrimental to your health. Uh, it can lead to hypoglycemia. So you need to. Um, you need to break the fast with fats and proteins. So just continue to to eat the foods that you would normally. Yeah, it's brilliant. And you mentioned brown fat there. So I suppose that triggered my brain into cold therapy as well, like cold showers. And that does the same sort of thing. Your body is geared up to warm you up rather than promote movement. So it burns fat to do that and make your temperature go up. So there's lots of lots of different strategies you could use. You could look at the taking your yolks out of the eggs, so you're reducing the dietary fat. You could look at you know a little bit of fasting. You could look at cold therapy. Would, would that be the right way to sum it up, Rich? Yeah, I think so. I think implementing those, one or all, are you going to see um, a rapid movement with, with weight loss, I should imagine. Uh, Tam there, who do I hit up for Fat Club, please, and how do you join? Um, well, that's it's in two places. Mighty Networks is the first place you could try because that's Richard's baby, but we've both done the same course. It is the same course, babe. I, basically, I mean, I've got it on the app as well, but uh, Mighty Networks would be the place to go. We can put a link in, and um, it's it's really that simple. So thanks for asking. And again, we're not setting people up and asking them to ask these questions. Uh, Fat Club, for those that don't know, is an eight-week course. And every beginning of every week, Rich goes through a presentation with me and teaches me all about it. And I am the student. And then in between those days, there's other uh, material about commitment, creating good habits, place for exercise, how many meals per day, your macros, everything you want to know over eight weeks to get where you want to be. So, uh, yeah, Mighty Networks. If you don't like Mighty Networks, the reason we did the app is some people don't like the Mighty Networks navigation, so they're more afraid with apps. So anyway, we'll, we'll put the links in the description uh, tomorrow morning. Right, Matthew, do you recommend any keto low-carb documentaries from st streaming services such as Amazon, Prime Video, and Netflix. I like Fat 
a documentary uh, featuring Vili Tortorich. Tortorich? Anyway, that uh, I know the name, but I don't know how to pronounce it. Can you think of anything you'd recommend? Yeah, I think I don't get a chance to watch TV very often. Um, my head is usually in uh, clinical trials research papers. As <laughs> sad as that sounds, there was one that I watched um, a few years ago, and I think it was called What's With Wheat. Uh, that was incredibly informative at a basic level to explain to people why grains are detrimental to your health. Um, worth a watch. I think a lot of the information there is probably beneath most of you, but it's it's always good because they do um, go into a little bit of detail about the shikimid pathway, um, how glyphosate uh, blocks PEP, phospholinylpyruvate, and, and that's the input to the shikimid pathway. So it's, it's, that's quite informative, um, but a great documentary. I can't think of any others off the top of my head. I have promoted one or two due to my time on Instagram, um, but it's been quite some time since. There was one that I put on recently on Netflix, and within two minutes, I quickly realized what the what their agenda was. <laughs> I turned it off um, because, yeah, it was just full of terrible information. Um, but, yeah, do you have any, Steve? Yeah, I think there's one called the Sh- that or the Sugar Movie or that Sugar Movie. Ah, uh, uh, that that Sugar film, I think. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That that was incredible. Yeah, very good. Enjoyed yeah. that as well. Yeah, that's talking about a producer, a film producer. It was quite a big week in Hollywood, and um, his son was having seizures, and he found the ketogenic diet, and also found it absolutely diabolical. The advice he was getting. So he set up this foundation, the Charlie Foundation, I think it's called. That's that's very good. Tom, we're going to just jump a few comments ahead because there is, uh, Tom has put, uh, Fat 2, Beyond Impossible, Magic Pill, which I've definitely heard of, Serial Killers 1 and 2. And most of those are free to view. So that, that's, a, that's a good question. I think Rich and I are very similar in the fact that um, neither of us watch TV and documentaries, even documentaries which purport to be sort of on our side, in inverted commas, I find very difficult because um, they're not for information, they're for entertainment, and they really do take some shortcuts, and and it's atrocious. I, I read all of Graham Hancock's books, which is nothing to do with keto or carnivore, and his documentary was a huge hit on Netflix, and I couldn't stand it. Uh, even though I love the subject matter and I love Graham Hancock and think it's great, I was ripping my hair out how badly produced it was. Now, many, many years ago, when I was involved in the media, I was talking to a documentary maker, the director, and I actually said, when you go into the documentary, are you going in to find out and then report back on what you find? And they went, no, we know where we want to go and we just find the material to back that up. Because it's entertainment. They're not looking to expose or reveal anything in particular. And uh, they, were, they were unabashed by that as well. Absolutely unabashed about this. And um, there you go. So let's, unless you, you look like you want to say something, Rich, or shall we move on? Yeah, no, I disagree. This is why I tend not to watch um, educational pieces on Netflix or Prime. You know, you always want, even as you say, for the ones that seem to be on our side, um, we are truth seekers, 
And, you know, several times we've been hit with comments and studies that seem to give the impression that our lifestyle is detrimental to our health. I live the lifestyle because of all the information that I have read, all the studying that I've done has led me to this path. Uh, and I truly believe that this is the healthiest way to live. Should we come across a piece of information that puts that in question, then I would question everything that we're doing. So I'm I'm not wedded to this lifestyle. I'm wedded to being fit and healthy and optimal health. I want to be the fittest and healthiest that I can be. I want to be the, the best version of myself. If that meant adding in some sort of plant compound, dare I say it, and the evidence was there and I couldn't find any flaws in that evidence, then I would contemplate that. Um, but all of the evidence that I have read, all of the studies and everything that I have carried out myself, my own personal experience has led me to where I am now. Um, so I do question any documentary, whether it be in our favor or not, because there's always a hidden agenda in there, isn't it? But you know, Game Changers was a big one. I went to the cinema to watch that with a friend of mine. Um, a guy, and uh, yeah, it. Uh, he was. I was quite big at the time because I was bodybuilding. He was absolutely huge. So there's two really built guys going into the cinema together. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it. Um, yeah, it was. You could see that quite early on that everybody else who was in there was a vegan, and they were like getting really well into it. And but I was thrown at the end of it. My friend turned on and said to me, "Yeah, you know." Is that right? And I well, I need to look into it because the evidence seemed so compelling that it had to be true. But then when you break down, you know, those clinical trials, research papers, you find that it's all misconception and it's being built, as you say, to fit an agenda. Um, and I don't agree with that, whether it's on our side or not. Yeah, and I think with the game changes, I, I can remember a year after it was out, somebody was asking me about it. So I researched all the people that were featured in there. And off the top of my head, about 15 of them had either uh, given up eating plant-based, become very unwell, or were injured in sport and were not recovering. And it was incredible. Actually, there was even a couple that I think had stopped being vegan in between the filming and the release. So, uh, and I think that's continued. I think even more of the people featured, you know, as time has gone on, have, have proven themselves to probably spoken too soon or jumped the gun. Um, anyway, oh, and finally, of course, real world experience. So I've got over 120 success story videos. Now, all those people have um, remarkable changes in their lifestyle. So if you've got 120 people proving that this way of eating is helpful, you can't say it isn't. Because uh, just 120 is not a lot of people, but it is in the scheme of things because I'm just one bloke in the UK. Uh, so anyway, let's move on. Phil W. Hi, Phil. Thanks for tuning in again. Uh, would be interested in both of your opinions. Oh, I'm being included in this one. That's good. <laughs> on intermittent, intermittent hypoxic training. Do you want me to go first or do you want to do it, Rich? Fire away. Okay. Well, one of the basically this is... When people go to high altitudes, they come back and they perform better. So when you've got an athlete, they go out for six weeks, they acclimatize, they are having reduced access to oxygen and they're medically supervised and everything's very uh, nuanced. So anyway, 
what happens is you get this this better performance in the person. So, and when they come back for a little while, there's this sort of knock-on effect. And that's down mainly to the production of red blood cells because it up-levels the production of red blood cells, your metabolic rate and uh, respiration in tissues, and everything is absolutely improved. Your your utilization of oxygen is optimized. So when you come back to train, you try to mimic that by restricting oxygen supply and intermittently uh, giving you the normal oxygen supply, and your body adapts. So that's how that works. So my opinion is is, is very good, um, mainly because having worked with, I'm always going on about this, but one particular Olympic athlete, when they do travel and they're they, you know they're able to have six weeks away and then come back, there is it is noticeable. Everything is better. Everything has improved. So that particular person was a type one diabetic, and and even management of blood glucose was better from this high altitude uh, competition and training beforehand. So I think it's a good thing um, in some respects. I think also when you've got the uh, cuffs that restrict your blood flow, which is sending a muscle uh, signal back to the body that you're fatigued and you're getting the physiological benefits of that, that's okay. But I do think that there's a hidden problem with that as well because your body needs to work with the weights that actually fatigue it because of the structures around it. So if you're doing a bicep curl and you've got a cuff on there and and you're restricting oxygen and you're getting the benefits of training to fatigue in some respects, you're not getting the benefits of like the joint fluid, the connective tissue, or the the movement in the joint actually is a, is a big issue for me, because when you're doing a bicep curl or you're doing a pull up or whatever, the whole kinetic chain is involved in the force that's gravity, and you're pulling against it normally. So if you if you fake that, and you fatigue, none of the supporting structures have actually had the workout that you want. All you're doing is you're basing basing it on the return of, you know, signaling from the oxygen usage. So uh, there's pluses and minuses, but I certainly think there's a place for it. That's that's my two penneth, as you say, Rich. What about yourself? Yeah, I when I began running and cycling earlier this year, I was incredibly new to it all. I tried to do too much too soon, and I injured and. Basically, the long and the short is I was out of action for probably three to six months with injury, um, for which I had a lot of backlash from the running club and stuff. Uh, Keto makes your bones and muscles weak and all this sort of stuff. And the fact is I just tried to run too far, too fast, too quickly. You know, you should be making these little steps, these incremental changes. Um, But I had already entered a duathlon. Yeah, I I think it was March or April, Um, but I was out of action for a few months leading up to it. But I I didn't want to pull out of the duathlon, but I didn't want to make a fool of myself either. So what I began to do is I could barely run. I don't know if it was shin splints, um, but that's what it felt like. Um, My calves were cramping. I was just coming up with all all of these issues in my lower legs constantly. So... How do you maintain fitness when you can't do an awful lot? So my tr- my entire training for this duathlon was done on an indoor bike, um, split training on both riding and running. 
and I would do two and a half K, only two and a half K on a running machine um, with heavily, so on a, uh, a running machine with suspension to take away, take away the impact. I increased my cadence a lot. So my legs are working overtime to reduce that impact. But I wore a mask that would restrict my oxygen. Now, there's a lot of research which which would suggest that, that isn't the same as high altitude training, but I was willing to try anything because I only had a few weeks to to try to get fit for for this duathlon, and that's what I did every time I was on the bike, um, and I was only doing five or ten k on the bike again, spinning with high cadence, no power, um, and every time I was running it was two point five k, and I'd split the training morning and and night. So I was technically getting 5K in a day, uh, but not in one go. If I tried to do it in one go, I'd be injured. But this this oxygen restriction mask, I think that it worked. When it came to the competition, I performed a lot better, way better than I was ever expecting. Um, so, you know, I've only got that to go on. The research is very mixed, um, but I, I haven't used it since. Maybe I should try to reintroduce it again, but you know I've improved you know massively since then. But it seemed to confer some benefit when I did implement it. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. Well, that's it. Real world experience. That's what we were talking about. And I think it, it may be a little a little experiment with it for six weeks and then six weeks washout period and then six weeks measuring your metrics again. It's so hard. But I, I think you do know when you're performing better. Uh, I'm, I'm old school. If I go into the gym, I tend to start with pull-ups. I just do. And if I find six pull-ups difficult... I'm pretty much like I know this is going to be a tough session today, and it's 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 how you look at things. Other days I just oh wow I feel really strong and I'm just shooting up the pull ups really easy. So I think it's it's difficult to say categorically what works because there's so many confounders as well. Because I might have a bad day at the gym starting off but by the end of it I'm absolutely pumped up and feeling great and other days I go in feeling really strong and vital and I leave and I feel shattered absolutely shattered but the thing is you know I'm still looking all right still got me guns and still got me abs so um anyway I'm trying to bring it down to less sciencey and more into see what you do I mean don't ignore it if you're interested in it and I know Phil is keep going and um Drop us a message on how it's gone. I, I want to pop this in. This is again jumping the gun, but people might have forgotten what we were talking about. White Wolf is saying uh, Bovril type electrolytes, yum. <laughs> so I do think maybe this is something like a bo- a bone broth type electrolyte. So James is asking, really nice, simple one for us. What do you cook your food in? In the kitchen. No, sorry. Um, most of my food is the air fryer. 
big fan of the air fryer, but it's got multi-settings, so you can have an air fryer, you can have a grill. Um, if I do pan fry something, um, then we're going to we're going to combine your questions, James, because you said what do you cook your food in, and what oils do you use to cook your food in? So, utensil air fryer is my sort of top thing, and um, pan frying is another one. Try not to have Teflon. What oils do I use? It depends on what I'm cooking, but it will be butter, lard, or tallow. That's it. So nice and simple. And as someone said to me in the week in one of my success story interviews, utensils, you don't need so many. This is the beauty of carnivore. You need less prep. There's less ingredients. There's less to go wrong. The cleaning is easier. And, you know, it's a no-brainer. And I've, I've done a meal plan because I've realized that people do actually want that, even though it's a really simple way to eat. Um, and it's also a simple way to cook. And that's what I noticed when I was doing the instructions on how to cook these things. I could literally do it off the top of my head and just write six or seven instructions. And, and a lot of it was really simple. And I'm thinking, wow, I could do a cookbook. I could probably write it in an afternoon because it is so simple. Uh, but anyway, that's my answer. What, what about you, Rich? What do you cook in and what oils do you use? Pan fry everything um, with the lid. And I don't use any oil or butter, tallow, lard, ghee. Butter, tallow, lard, ghee are my preferences. Uh, but I just use the juice from the meats that I'm cooking in and I'll pour the fats over, over my meal. Um, I'll put the lid on the pan when I'm cooking, so it's cooking in its own heat. I try not to cook it too weak, uh, sorry, too quickly, uh, because burning the meat can increase the amount of acrylamide. Um, so I pan fry low and slow. Uh, it does, doesn't take awful long, especially when you put the, the lid on, but I don't use any oils anymore when cooking. It's been a long time since I've added anything. I'm not against it. Um, I just don't feel that I need to put those in. So that is me. Super boring, but it's as simple as that. No, I, I used to love cooking. Um, there pictures popped up on my um, Facebook feed recently, you know, like five years ago and 10 years and all this sort of stuff. And the meals that I, I'm a really good cook, believe it or not. Um, and I make them look incredible as well. And these, these meals popped up and they looked awesome, but they were predominated with, with vegetables and sauces and all this sort of stuff. And I don't eat any of those things anymore. So when I cook now, my my meal is just a steak on a plate. And this, this is why I don't take pictures of my food, because that, that is it. It's just, it's just a lump of meat on a plate. There's only You can't prettify that anymore. I mean, I could slice it up and stagger it. and, and But it's just like, it's there. Plain and simple. Super easy. No complications. That's me. A uh, serious question now. So, yeah. PJ. Hi, gentlemen. Chest pains on carnivore. It was suggested to up calcium intake, which seems to help. Any more info on this, please? And your suggestions, thanks. Chest pains are not to be ignored. And if you can get to a healthcare provider, I would definitely be checked out personally. That's what I would say. What would you say, Rich? Not a fan of calcium, as you know. Um, <clears throat> one of the studies that we referenced recently, when we look at these electrolytes, as nature intended, they predominate potassium, roughly four to one potassium to sodium. Then considerably lower is is magnesium and calcium. And depending on the source, they're roughly one to one. Yet, and this is how the cell utilizes 
uh, magnesium and calcium. So calcium excites the cell and magnesium calms it down. The problem is that when we become carnivore, keto, and I'm not against any of these things that I'm going to list, there is a place for these things and I have done them myself and I still indulge on some of these things. But we will consume lots of cheese and dairy. We'll consume lots of calcium or we may even supplement with calcium. And this is why my electrolytes do not contain calcium. But excess calcium consumption can lead, it can increase cardiovascular disease by as much as 15%. Uh, there's several studies that we've referenced, uh, you know, over over our time podcasting, um, and that's that's a big big increase. Uh, so we need, and this is the reason a lot of people will cramp. Also, people think that it's to do with inadequate magnesium, which technically it is, because that ratio is thrown out of whack. So they increase magnesium. Uh, the best form is glycinate, but in practice. The best thing to do is reduce your calcium. We take take out your calcium, reduce your calcium. This will put the levels back uh, into um, into a, a better uh, ratio. In regards to chest pains, um, it, it's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, there's there's obviously something not quite right there. But what I have found is a lot of people when they become carnivore, they seem to reference palpitations. Um, now, in my experience, what this is is the body has lost a considerable amount of fat and now we're more aware of the things that go on in our body and we can feel it at the still of night when there's no noise we can feel our heart beat in we can we can hear it through our body and i think this is to do with the fact that we've lost a little bit of body fat and we're now um more tuned into the way that the body's working if we look at blood pressure um or we put um you know one of the heart monitors on when the, in the evenings or the nights when I think that I've had palpitations, there's nothing wrong with my heart rate. Um, so I, I just, uh, somebody said to me recently, um, I've gone carnivore and I've come up with all these lumps. And I go, all oh, right, okay, well, let's take a look. It turns out that this young lady had lost so much weight that the bones were popping through on you know the arms and the shoulders and her face. It was her bones because she'd lost so much weight. She was now fit and healthy, yet she'd never seen or felt the bones before. She thought that they were lumps. So I think context is important, and we need to maybe bear in mind that some of these things that we are experiencing may not be what we think that they are. But again, as Stephen said, if you think that you are experiencing chest pains, then go and get it checked out. But uh, potassium and sodium are also incredibly important. Um, It could be a case that you are uh, under-supplementing or not consuming enough potassium through your diet. Uh, A number of reasons. It's uh, I think context is is incredibly important in this one. And I would suggest um, maybe a, a private consultation with myself or Stephen um, Stephen's a qualified phlebotomist, so you can go through any bloods. Um, so, you know, tap Stephen up or ping me, you know, whatever you want to do, and maybe we can go into more detail in regards to that. Yeah, and I think just to broaden it out, I mean, chest pains, people immediately think it's a heart. It could be so many things. It could be chest muscles. It could be ribs. It could be uh, respiratory problems. You know, you could have... Um, bone issues it could even be anxiety or stress could be grinding your teeth at night and and stress that you're suppressing during the day that's coming out during the night and giving you anxiety and therefore giving you some sort of chest pains as well so yeah and because it's a serious thing we're both saying seek sort of help straight away and get it checked out and find out exactly what's going on because you can't ignore chest pain 
Um, right, and context would be handy. So, yeah, more information is better. Hope that hope that's helped. Uh, right, um, people are making suggestions for your business, which I think is really good. Uh, Cud Kitty, uh, I think your next project should be affordable carnival beef snack like pemmican, clean meaty fuel for people on the go. So we do have a range of clean um, sort of jerkies and stuff. And uh, yeah, those are available through through the website. Um, something similar. We could increase that range again. Unfortunately, I mean, because we cater for the low-carb keto and carnival community, the carnival is still an incredibly small percentage of the business. Um, if you want us to to bring more of these products in, which are the type of things that I would use, then we need we need you to buy the products. You know, we need we need the cash flow in order to to invest or reinvest within these products. So, if if you visit the website and there's a carnival product on there you like, then buy it and tell your friends about it, and we will have the cash flow in order to invest in all of these other products because that is where my heart lies. Um, I will help anyone whether they're low carb keto or carnival. But my dream, my goal is to have um, subsections on the website in regards to what your diet, lifestyle, and where you are on your journey is. But currently, um, a small percentage of, of the stuff we do is tailored specifically for carnival because that market is, is is so small. I think what's interesting, Rich, is it it's been very helpful for your business tonight, and it feels very much like a setup. But we don't know. We don't know. We don't know what's going to come up. You know me. I don't push. I don't push business. Um, I very rarely mention products and things when we do the live, and I get quite embarrassed when people do. But if you can ask the questions, I'll, I'll, I'll gladly answer. This is why I created the business. It's there to support. Yeah, I'm going to do my bit of what I should be saying. You're looking at that wrong because people want to know what to eat, and they also want to know practicalities, Rich. And if you're a provider of things that can help them, um. Why would you be selling something you don't believe in? So at least they know you're a genuine person and the, the best chance they've got of getting something clean without things in it that they don't want is going to be you. So I'm going to not let you put your light under a bushel and, t- and say that because that's the truth. Um, I think that 100%, hand on heart. So anyway, White Wolf, you see, look at this. Some kind of carnivore convenience bar would be great. Easy trekking, stuff in a handbag type of bar. Currently using car cheese as convenient, uh, individually wrapped cheese. Yes, now that's a phrase I've used. I've I've used pocket meat uh, on a couple of my videos, which were things like, you know, uh, scotch eggs, uh, fried up bacon in a, in a little bag that's just, in my pocket and i'm assuming white wolf might be in the uk because there is a carnival bar in america so what's your answer to that do you have any convenience bars that are sort of carnival yeah we've got all sorts of treats we've got um cheesy treats um uh, so they're just pure cheese uh, in in a few different um, packets we've got um as i say we've got like beef jerky type type treats uh, my go-to uh, again same as you is is sliced cheese on the go or you know dried bread, bacon jerky that sort of stuff um we do have for for the carnivores who are listening who are slightly less strict um i have developed what i believe to be the world's best keto bar um it does contain stevia uh, but it is lectin free it's a 50 gram bar um the salted caramel version contains two grams of carbs. The chocolate orange is 2.8. So possibly the lowest carb bar uh, available in the world. But they are sweetener-free. Um, so 
they they do not contain. We've taken out the stevia, we've taken out the erythritol, and we've changed it for glycerol, which is a sweet type of fat. Um, we've removed the husk from the almonds, so they are lectin free, um, but they do contain certain plant compounds in regards to cocoa. Um, so if you are slightly less strict, these are a fantastic alternative. They contain MCT, medium chain triglycerides, in the form of C8. Um, super handy for those who are less strict. Um, and they are probably our number one seller in regards to snacks and, and treats. Uh, we've also got uh, a third-party brand called Robert's Dorset, who are like pork cracklings. And we've got the Creators range. All of these are seed oil-free. They, they, they're just pork and bacon that have been air-fried and dried, um, super handy and convenient. Th- those are third-party products. The other bar is, is my own my own uh, recipe. Uh, but we are constantly looking and developing. We've got a list as long as my arm in regards to products I'd love to build up. But we need support. It's the business is the business is only possible, you know, with the support of, of of people. I've brought these products to the market to help people maintain their low carb ketogenic and carnivore lifestyle. But unless people spread the word and support the business, then there's no funds in order, you know, available to 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 further the business and and bring out the, the unflavored electrolytes, which we've mentioned time and time again. We allocated a slot to produce these early next year. Um, I've had to cancel that because the business just doesn't have the funds to put that into production. Now, the unflavored electrolytes are, are incredible. They are they are perfect for carnivore. There's no nasties in there. Not that there's any nasties in the, in the ones that we use, but they they do contain stevia, which you know some some strict carnivores do not want to use. Uh, these ones are completely stevia free, but it's um it, we've had to knock that, and we don't have currently a production date for it. So support the business and we can bring all of these products to fruition. It's incredibly expensive to formulate and bring a product out. Um, you know, you, you know, Steve, I, my wife and I have put four, or th- sorry, three houses in into the business. Uh, everything that we own has gone into the business in order to, to bring these products to make people um, able to sustain the lifestyle, you know, whether they are low carb all the way up to being strict carnival, but, but we need that support back in order to bring these products out. Yep. Six minutes to go before we're on the other platform. I've put the link in the comments. Uh, This comment is possibly going to be better answered on the other platform. Thoughts on cultured meats that are being promoted. So this is things like Beyond Burger and uh, all that that type of stuff. So um, I will skim over what my thoughts because I think it might be something for the next uh, hour at 8pm. But firstly, you're looking at cost. Uh, the cost of production is actually quite vast. They keep saying, well, there's going to be advancements in technology which will be able to scale up this production. Um, a big one is people don't want them. <laughs> uh, the sales of these things, contrary to what you're being told, are not going through the roof. And there, there are many, many places actually shutting. So there's lots of vegan restaurants shutting. There's there's um, many outlets actually reducing they're cultured meats there's also the fact that the nutrients in the cultured meats are just a minuscule compared to real meat the environmental impact is is vast ethical concerns about animal welfare because you've still got to get those initial cell samples and where do they come from so you know there's there's everything taste everything wrong with it 
I, I just feel it's a, it's a terrible um, way we're we're going. So uh, let's just do a little plug here. Matthew saying, highly recommend booking a one-to-one consultation with Richard Stephen for a more personalised experience. Thank you very much. Uh, let's have a look at this. What's this? Let's have a look at Landers. I think there is a lot of uh, BS in the carnivore space. After eating carbs, how do people claim to recover from eating carbs the following day? How do they recover? But they don't eat them. I mean, this is what I say, Landers, to everybody I coach. If you go off the plan, don't be guilty. Don't beat yourself up over it. Just make sure your next meal is carnivore. That's what I would say. Um, White Wolf, by the way, is in the UK. He's saying, uh, oh, I've got a drink here. Hang on. Just what? Much. Uh, I've come from Ketovore, where I've always been in ketosis, four and a half stone off, and kept off for six years. Now carnivore, and hard to get my head around not needing to monitor ketones. Is this really true? So the the, the fact of the matter is that when you are carnivore, you're still in a ketogenic state. Yeah, you don't need to to measure ketones because the measurements um, typically come from acetoacetate or acetone, depending on whether it's a breath monitor or whether it's through the urine. Even blood monitors um, don't give a true reflection. To, for example, if I were to test my ketones, they're probably less than 0.5. Um, but I'm in a ketogenic state constantly. This is because my body has upregulated all of these systems and enzymes and pathways in the body. And now my body's utilizing beta hydroxybutyrate, so they're no longer in the bloodstream circulating around and being wasted through my breath and through the urine. You don't need to track; just eat real food. Eat you don't, and you don't have to be strict carnivore. This is a subject that we've covered lots of times. Maybe we can go into more detail on, on the next channel. Um, you've got to do what works for you. It's there are benefits to all of these things, and it depends on where you are on your journey in regards to where you want to reside. But you know, it's there is a pinnacle, at least I believe. Um, but you need to 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 live the lifestyle that works for you. Um, and really quickly, just while reading that, I just seen Carnival Muscle, our friend Jonathan. Uh, these two guys look dashing. So <laughs> that's the best comment of the night, I think. So thank you very much for that. Jonathan will be with us on Tuesday during Carnivore GB, um, 7 p.m. Again, available through all our YouTube channels. Uh, Phil Escott and Ben also available. I don't know if we have any other guests on there on Tuesday, uh, Steve. I don't know. Uh, If Jonathan's still watching, if you could type in if there's any guests, because it's his turn. He's got the baton for uh, setting up the live stream this week. Oh, 
Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Your support means the absolute world to me. And if you're enjoying the show, I've got a small favour to ask you. I'd be incredibly grateful if you would consider becoming a supporter and make a small monthly donation. Your contribution will really help to improve the show. I'll be able to improve the software, maybe put a few more episodes out and do many things that I'm hoping to do in the future. Do them a lot quicker. So it's a small monthly contribution. You can cancel at any time and the link is in the show notes. Thanks very much for listening.